bees make fantastic decisions about the location of their next hive. Better than humans make. You're listening to Pardon the Disruption with your host, Tom Young. Hey everybody, hey, this is Tom Young. Let's go around the room. This is Bart Gallo. This is TJ Young. And this is Rohan Kapoor. Great guys, hey, thanks for joining us today. We're gonna have a conversation about a topic called uh, Swarm AI, or Swarm Artificial Intelligence, which is the uh, protocols behind things like, you've heard the term hive mind, which has a very negative connotation in science fiction. But Swarm AI is a interesting way of organizing complex systems with AI it's just a different way of looking at things. And so I want to talk a little bit about that, break it down, show a couple of examples. We got exposed to this over the weekend when we were looking at the impact of things like sports betting and the, the ability to predict outcomes of complex systems. So what I found interesting about reading about Swarm AI was the researchers are trying to glean examples from nature. So if you think of a ant colony. The ant colony, you think of an ant as a life form, but if you raise your perspective and say the colony is a life form, the ant just becomes a tool within that life form. And how do they how do they know what to do? Is there a leader in the ant colony? Uh, how do the, the ants that are out there organize themselves? How do they know how to do things? Same with termites. In termite colonies, they build these big uh, termite uh, things in, in Africa, some of them are like 15 meters tall or 10 meters tall. You look at fish, swar- uh, schools of fish, swarms of birds. So there's lots of examples in nature where you have these self-organizing complex systems that are performing different things without leaders. So it challenges our nature of what is the life form? Is it the individual fish in the school or is it the school? Is it a termite or the termite colony? And what we're trying to understand is the software or the algorithms behind that, that sort of changes. So anyway, what are you guys' thoughts on this? You guys, we have all talked about this a little bit prior to this recording. What do you guys think about this topic? Yeah, I think it's uh, super interesting. Um, I think the applications that we've seen are quite exciting. Just from, I mean, we do the occasional sports betting now that it's legal in New Jersey. Um, and some of the uh, some of the examples that we'll talk through where they actually are able to predict uh, things like Kentucky Derby, the Oscars, stuff like that, I think is really uh, showing where just scratching the surface of some of the applications. And also to some extent, I think a lot of people talk about how AI in general is technology, it's meant to augment humans, but um, this is one real application where I think that's definitely true. First. This is how I really tripped on the topic, right? Because New Jersey legalized sports betting uh, this year, in the last 12 months. Yeah. So I started doing it around the Super Bowl, and I was just fascinated by the business side of it. Like, um, And when you there's a movie called Moneyball in a book written uh, about uh, baseball starting to use information to make decisions. And one of the premises we have in – our general consulting businesses, fact-based decisions generally are better decisions than gut decisions. And then I stepped back and said, well, gut decisions aren't always bad. So how do I bring all that together? And I started 
thinking about that relative to making decisions in sports around what they did in Moneyball, using a lot of data to make decisions about which players to pick, et cetera. And Billy Bean, who, who drove that, had a lot of success in baseball, and then it made a great movie about that. But then you take it into the sports about the ability to predict outcomes in sporting events is the nature of sports betting. And then we tripped upon this TED Talk, and I'm going to play this first video clip. This is the CEO from a company called Unanimous AI, where last year they predicted the first four positions in the Kentucky Derby at, a, at an odds of you know 550 or so to one and hit that. And that got them a lot of notoriety. But then they also did some things, and we're going to show this next clip, around their prediction of the Oscars and how they fared against uh, the experts. But more importantly, how they're leveraging just what we'll call uh, movie enthusiasts versus experts and collectively organizing their enthusiasm and knowledge and organizing it under a swarm protocol to get an, a superior outcome. It's not voting. It's not 20 people vote and you take the, the, the vote because they show that that doesn't yield the best results. This is a, a very different, uh, and rather than get into the black box of what Swarm AI does, it does exist. It is a different way of doing it. So let's show this first clip on the Oscars and how they predicted this. And then let's talk about some other ways that this can be applied in business. Last year, Newsweek challenged us to predict the Oscars. So we formed a swarm of 50 movie fans not experts, just regular fans, and we had them think together as a system to predict each of the categories. So here's the swarm predicting best actress, and you can see them pushing and pulling on the system moderated by our AI algorithms and converging on Brie Larson. And we did the same thing for each of the different categories, and then Newsweek published our predictions, which put some pressure on us. So how do we do? Let's compare the individuals to the swarm. So those 50 movie fans, as individuals, were 40% accurate. That's not great, but predicting the Oscars is, is hard. By taking a vote, those 50 movie fans were 47% accurate, which is a little bit better. But by thinking together as a swarm, they jumped all the way up to 76% accurate. That's, that's almost double the accuracy of the individual members. And what's even more amazing is we can compare to the average professional movie critic, which was 64%. In other words, by thinking together as a swarm, these average movie fans became an artificial super expert that was able to beat the New York Times, the LA Times, Rolling Stone, Variety. So that clip shows how you're able to take and organize largely through a, a neural network. So if you think of um, uh, each individual as a neuron in a neural network or, or a layer in an artificial neural network, organizing them in such a way where we leverage the relative intelligence. So instead of a one-man, one-vote, or one-person, one-vote, uh, the, relev the relevant intelligence and confidence of the intelligence of the specific thing is applied and weighted appropriately so that you come out with an outcome that is a sort of the group intelligence versus just a, a, a pure vote. And in, the, in this case, it went from 40 to 47 on classic democratic voting, but the swarm protocols took it to 76, which is was superior than the experts. And this is a simple example. 
And you start to think, okay, if I could start to do that, how can I tap into the, the basically the swarm knowledge or the swarm AI from large groups to make better decisions around everything from customer experience to what's going to happen next with my product and services to sports betting, which was we said, how do I predict who's going to win the next baseball game? Especially around measurements that are not binary or something that we can measure today that it's like it's this or that, whereas this is looking at really like dynamic, real-time like micro-sentiments yeah. among the population and how it's shifting. And it's not just saying, hey, we're all going to answer this question to your point, but it's saying how is the fluctuations of these different sentiments towards a different actress to a movie towards the money line on the NCAA game last night, yeah. oh, that's all shifting, and how can you draw patterns from that? And I think part of when we get more into the swarm intelligence discussion from a biology standpoint, there's a whole idea of emergence, right? There's, we're, there's a lot of backwards engineering in terms of analyzing these swarms of organisms, whether it's an ant colony or a flock of birds, where we can see the behavior, we see the macro behavior, yeah. and we have to kind yeah. of backwards engineer, we, uh, based on that emergent behavior, what is the math that's there because of evolution or whatever happened to cause that emergent behavior, yeah. right? So is it, do we work backwards from the emergent behavior, or do we use tools like machine learning or AI to experiment in very fast iterations, different equations so that we can cause different sets of emergent behavior to happen based on the initial inputs. Well, the, it's very interesting. So yeah. The, so they got this from biology, right? So they're, right. they're looking at, they looked at like bee colonies where they have to figure out how to relocate the, the hive. So it is an existential question for the colony. They got to get it right. And, and you can go into the and read the reports and watch some of the videos where they get into the details, but the bees make fantastic decisions about the location of their next hive, better than humans yep. make. And you say, how do they do that? Because they don't have, individually, each bee does not have the intelligence. It has, it's like- One one eighty-three thousandth of yeah. a human brain or something. So in terms of this number of neurons in your brain, they're, they're like, it's like 85,000, one eighty-five thousandth of a person. Yeah. So, so eighty-five thousand bees, if you add them all up, would be in the same the same amount of neurons together, but they don't work together. So the issue is, how do they work together? They don't talk. They don't communicate. They don't have walkie-talkies. Well, they kind of so, they kind of do. In some but they way, get this vibrations. goal. They get this one goal right. And you're trying to say, well, how do they do that? What's and, and this this is where it, we struggle to wrap our heads around. So this is when we talked about this over the last couple of days. Um, where it comes in, well, what's the rules? What? How do they yeah. do this? And and uh, you know, we we have a clip coming up where this woman in one of the TED talks talks about uh, uh, she calls it's called taming the swarm, and it's she this woman uh, Radhika Nagpal gives at the TED talk in Bermuda. It's a couple years ago now, but she gives a talk about how you how you program the rules to do this. They're not going to get into specifically what the rules are. We'll do that in the next clip. But this clip lays out a little bit about how that drives an output about building a program. Let's go do this. So the next step is, what are the rules? How do you get a bunch of these robots to actually cooperate? And one of the things we discovered was that we can actually design our own rules. So if you gave me a picture of a structure that you wanted, there is actually a way to systematically come up with rules that all of the robots, if they ran together, would produce the structure. And the interesting thing about these rules is that they can use the same ideas that I was telling you with the termites. So each individual robot 
comes to the structure, and it actually just looks for building patterns. It's looking for somewhere to build, and it has to find somewhere to build, but it doesn't really know how many other robots there are or where the other ones are. They're just constantly reacting to things built by other individuals in their colony. Okay, so in that clip, you see how they basically set the rules. And rather than get into the details of the rules, they set these rules based on a blueprint of what the objective is. The objective in this case was to build something. And you can see how the organiz the organisms, in this case the robots or the termites or whatever term you want to use, they don't necessarily have the full blueprint. They have their individual rules on how they react to the environment that they see. And because there's so many of them in these large colonies, it's relentless. And there's and, uh, the point at the end, it's so simplistic that each individual does not even have a recent memory of what they just did. They're reacting in real time with those basic rules. Yeah, so what they're, what they're doing is they're looking for Patterns. opportunities to improve on the existing, existing environment right. lo locally, mm -hmm. locally. So they don't see the whole thing. They look, they have something and say, oh, I can improve it locally and I do it right here. And then the aggregation of all of those decisions yeah. create the superstructure based on the the programming that's put in place. And right. I guess this is, this might go a little off topic and I don't know if we can answer this, but we're, we're doing this, you know, a lot, you know, very inspired by biology in some cases. And we're trying to mirror this in robotics and software as well. Is there an improvement to a system like this where we have the benefits of the swarm but the individuals are aware of the macroscopic effects of their actions. So you think about, uh, we were talking before the podcast started around self-driving cars, right? So we've all seen iRobot, Will yep. Smith, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, differing opinions about the movie. I think it's a, <laughs> it's a guilty pleasure of mine, yeah. at least. It's fun. Uh, but I, the ideas in it, I like a lot, especially the, the, just the ideas of the world in the future. They showed the highway system and cars, they're all running on those like um, spherical wheels so they can kind of go in any, any direction. Yeah, yeah. And the highway scenes are flying by like 200 miles an hour. Everyone's just hanging out. They don't really care. But there's no traffic lights because all the cars are aware of each other in mm -hmm. their rel relative position, which means that there's no traffic lights. They, they can just fly through each other perfectly without any concern around crashing into one another or having a traffic jam. Whereas I'm a human, I can see this guy's texting or I know this guy's braking in front of me. It's a very localized view of traffic. And, and I think in that way, uh, the way that traffic exists today in terms of behavior very much mimics an ant colony. If you looked at, if you zoomed up maybe 30,000 feet in the air and sped up the time, the way that traffic moves and highways move, it's very similar to how ants might move. I mean, there's maybe fewer traffic jams because they can move in different ways, but... Imagine a system where you have those benefits from the swarm, but each individual is aware. It's the ecosystem awareness. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's almost like, you, is there a way to capitalize on those benefits while also having that, I don't know if you larger artificial intelligence engine, that kind of like that governance engine above it all? Does that, do they, can they not coexist? Does that just diminish the whole point of the swarm in the first place? Well, I think that's when you start to bridge the gap between early swarm AI and then at least narrow or strong AI, at least in the, in the sense of uh, autonomous vehicles in that example. Right. That system of the roads that are aware of the vehicles and the vehicles that are aware of the entire system of the roads they're driving on is a relatively strong AI. Right. In that field. And I think the, the short-term deployments of self-driving cars, especially if we don't have the infrastructure right, will be this form of swarm intelligence where the Tesla car, the Google car, it's reacting to things in the environment. Pedestrian walks in, stop. Car in front of me is braking. 
uh, adaptive cruise I'm going to break as well. But that, also there's that's an That's the accident. first iteration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is the iRobot iteration of that? And then in other applications beyond cars. Yeah, yeah I, I think that the potential here is you know, we don't have to like limit ourselves just to deploying a swarm AI protocol. You could, you could further inform that by changing the coefficients of that are driving it with machine learning and higher orders of stuff to create um, even things way beyond what we're contemplating here. This is just another tool in the kit of AI that will drive things. And so I just found it fascinating because we were trying to understand, you know, how to, you know, how, wh- where is this stand right now and how is it driving? Because when I, when I looked at it, as soon as I started to distill it back, it felt a lot like these were de facto artificial neural networks in nature, right? Yeah. That the node in an artificial network by itself is not that smart. The compilation of the nodes in the artificial neural network became super smart. And when we look at an artificial neural network in a computer system, we don't understand exactly how it works in an if-that-then-this kind of construct. And it's the same thing is true here. Why did that ant take this one thing from over here all the way over and put it there? Well, the answer is that we learned they probably don't. They're just acting locally, and then that piles onto one thing. So there is some rules that they've created in simple systems here. And, you know, you use the notion of, TJ, the um, the cars. So let's look at this last clip that we have here, and then let's have a, a discussion about some implications of this. But let's look at this last clip about the swarm robotics, about how they program this into robots to demonstrate the resilience the relentlessness and the ability to program and organize this stuff into self-organizing systems. No robot knows where they're supposed to be going. No robot is actually talking to another robot. All they're doing is they're measuring roughly where they are relative to other robots. And we've told them to spell grits. So now, each robot knows what an R is supposed to look like. They look around and see, you know what? This looks like a piece of an R. I'm going to go towards this, but I'm going to use this weighted equation to, uh, to make sure that I did the right thing. Uh, and there are three very good reasons why anyone would use grits, right? First is clearly we're in the South, so it makes sense. Uh, <laughs> the other is, as you may have heard, I'm the director of the Georgia Robotics and Intelligence Systems Lab with the acronym GRITS. Uh, the third is when you're spelling something, it's equally hard to do forward and backward in time so no one can accuse us of cheating, right? And I even have Ted McDonald, a, a former uh, graduate student in my lab, mess with the robots to show that this is indeed happening in real time. And to me, this is extremely close now to the Swiss challenge that was laid down 10 years ago. And all it is are these cleverly tweaked weights in this kind of swarming control law that we came up with together. It's charming, right? Come on, come on, come on, little robots. So that begs the question. You remember the uh, recent Olympic ceremony, like opening ceremony? Oh yeah, they have China, the, uh, Beijing. The not the the one where they had the the drones flying and making kind of the oh, the, the Olympic yeah. ring symbols and a yeah. whole bunch of different things. I wonder, is it that sophisticated? Where if one got taken out by like a bird, <laughs> would they continue the design with another one, or is it very fragile, right? In 2008, I don't know. Not the 08 one. It was recent, oh, like last oh, year. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. 08 was the battle drums declaring war on the world. Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. So, 
th this is a great demonstration where you can see if your own eyes, each of the, the individual nodes or the, the robots here that form the S. Right. Uh, that's that's not the entity. The entity is the group. And when you pull one out, they self-organize into the S without it. And then you add one in, it jumps in and and it reforms and and respatializes to re, to maintain the S. And when I hold one back, the whole thing moves so that they're included. So it's scalable, it's distributed. And and no one of these drones is in charge because you can move them around. So you set this. So when you get right down to it, we can get into the the engineering around how they coded an S. How how do they know how to do that? That just becomes the math. And then if you watch the rest of this video, and we'll put it in the show notes, these links to these, you can watch the the full thing. They do break this down into the advanced math. But then the question really becomes: Is what are the applications of this? Yeah. Right. So. Uh, we want, we talk about black mirror you know we look at these ro robots now again i don't like to the robots are the way for us to look at this and visualize it but this is more software than it is hardware but the control systems of the hardware uh, robots uh are, are what's driving the stuff so this company boston dynamics worked with black mirror and they made an episode in black mirror on, in uh season four called metalhead where this basically dog drone was on a kill mission, and uh, it was. It, we find out later it's part of a swarm, and when it activates some signal, the swarm comes and converges, and it had this. It basically had some kind of kill program on kill kill all humans, and it was a dystopian view of a swarm protocol here, and it was relentless, just like this is relentless. You take mm -hmm. one out. The same thing, when we looked at the prior clip, you knock out a couple blocks, it doesn't even know the blocks were there, it just keeps building, it doesn't stop. And it's like, you know, it, very interesting. There's a another Black Mirror episode in season three called Hated in the Nation, <laughs> where they actually use robotic bees. New bees. New bees, yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're addressing some of the collapse of some of the bee colonies to use it for agriculture. But then those robots were hacked in the in the show. Spoiler alert. Well, people need to watch this stuff ahead of time. <laughs> well, you don't believe in spoilers, so I'm just... <laughs> yeah. People can need to watch... Let's clip that in right before, just like <laughs> yeah. very crudely. We can yeah. get a, a jingle going. <laughs> but in that, in that case, there was... Each one of the ants or the bees in that in that uh, show, you could you could get rid of one. You could crush it. But if, if 100,000 or 500,000 are coming, it just overwhelms you. Right. You can't deal with it. I remember I read a book uh, a while ago by Daniel Suarez, who's a, a, a good sci-fi writer, called Kill Decision. And in that book, he laid out drones that were becoming more and more advanced and having basically lethal uh, capabilities. And there was one school that was taking the drones to a higher level of sophistication. It was very, very expensive. Spoiler alert. Yeah, but <laughs> it's it's a book. I was I was kidding. <laughs> Can you spoil yeah. a book? I mean, I'm talking about the book. I, yeah. We need that in like a sound pad just to hit it really quick. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so in this book, he, he, they 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 write they make these drones that are very low tech, very similar to ants. They single purpose. They perform a function, but there's tens of thousands of them in a swarm. Well, it just it makes sense from an economies of scale standpoint. If it's going to be a physical manifestation of this example. 
then you want all yeah. the variety to be software based. Whereas I'm going to have you, I have two or three physical things you can do, but I'm going to program different um, patterns in which you go yeah. and do that versus I'm going to manufacture different things. So it's, they're cheap and I'm making the same thing all every single time. Well, in this case, so it's very resilient. He talked about having a million dollar budget, hundred dollar. These are hundred dollar bots in some of these clips, and he has ten thousand of them. Right. So if twenty yeah. percent fail, I still have a lot, and I can still do a lot of things. Versus a single million dollar robot has a high degree of failure, and then it's out of commission. It can't be used for production. Right. And if I have a one point two million dollar I can have build twelve thousand of them, not just so. It's almost like building the drone army, and that ar and that army is programmed to do whatever you program it to do. And I think there's a there's more examples of the physical examples of this, just because it's easier to grasp for people, and they can make the analogies to biology more easily. But there are no issues with production when it comes to the software versions of this, right? So how do you apply swarm intelligence where it's purely software based? Where I mean, maybe the last mile where I'm getting input from a, maybe a human, they have to you know click to answer a question or whatever, that goes into the algorithm and it's all software based from there. We're not moving robots around. These are just action potentials or neural networks activating in the back end, mm -hmm. whatever black box we defined. That's even more scalable than this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they how does that apply? I mean, we brought up sports betting before, but how are, will we see consortiums or platforms evolve? where people kind of log in and say, hey, I, I opt in to participate in here. I know that my role may be minimal. I may not have visibility into the broader network and what other people are answering or participating in, but I know that the swarm collective benefit of this could be used to take on an industry. Maybe it's sports betting. Maybe it's whatever it is. Well, so I think, and this is maybe slightly off topic, but I think the interesting thing, so when you were talking just then about the weight, the weighting of the the individuals that make up the swarm uh, and almost like what their credentials are right because in the clip that he showed about the oscar he was like these are just movie enthusiasts they're not experts but like when you get to a point so, so i guess my, most of my questions are around like how, how do you decide who belongs to the swarm we gave examples before where each one of us knows a varying amount about different topics but the thing about this just be it's it's interesting because we're talking about swarm intelligence yeah and we keep referencing these animals like you know ants birds fish but mm -hmm. uh, they can't those animals can't adjust the way they respond to smells or environmental cues themselves it takes many generations years and years of evolution for this we can we can use other forms of artificial intelligence like machine learning to bolster and build swarm intelligence itself. So it's kind of, it's it's like software and software violence, I know it's a term we use every now and then, but it won't be perfect, but the more we use it, the more we can Better. tweak all the different action potentials, all the different weights, the scores. Well, said another way, in we, real time. we can progress it geometrically. Yeah, exponentially. <laughs> where, right. where this happened very slowly over, now we can do it digitally. Because yes. all, all these examples we use in nature are analog examples. Well, you go to digital, it's a, it's, you do it at machine speed, and then you progress it exponentially. So you, it's a very different game. And what we're seeing really is this convergence of technology and algorithms, right? So the technology is progressing, and that's think of the physical robot and software platforms. And then think of the algorithms that make it smart. So everything mm -hmm. from machine learning to the application of swarm intelligence. 
And swarm intelligence to me is taking artificial neural networks and deploying them at scale in physical systems. If I if I were to if I were to break it down, that's what I see it being. And this challenges our whole view of what is the individual versus what is the the group collective. So when you look at hive mind in terms of the negative connotation, it is loss of individual identity. Right? When they make fun of hive minds and people that think alike, they're saying you're, they, they'll refer to even people in a hive mind as drones. Well, that's an accurate statement. Because it's scientifically accurate for like wasps and bees, they are drones. Yeah. Well, they it's literally, literally are. called that. <laughs> well, and and they're not an individual. No. I mean, in, in the, the ant colony is the life form, if you look at it this way. The individual ant is not. Now, if I take it one more step, and uh, somewhat, and I think of your your biology. Now, again, we've talked about DNA sequencing and stuff like that. Every cell in your body has the same DNA, and that DNA is programmed is the software of life, as Ray Kurzweil calls it. And we don't, re and we understand it a little bit. We just recently sequenced it in the last two decades, and we're starting to understand it. And we're understanding new aspects of it recently. You know, the CRISPR, we, we talked about that in terms of understanding some aspects of what the gene, but we're still at a very fundamental understanding of what it is. What if, and again, I'm speculating, what if behind the scenes, what was part of it, what's really going on is this DNA that sits in all of our cells is the programming that allows our cells to act in a hive mind or swarm intelligence to form a person. Well, that's what the chromosomes are. Yeah. So the the cells in my foot don't know what the cells on my shoulder are doing, but they work in coordination without knowing what each other is doing to maintain a human function. So what's the, so, enti what's, the what's the entity? Is it the atom? Is it the cell? Is it the person? Is it the group of people? Is it the planet? Well, we we've we identify as our people are the individual mm -hmm. and our cells are not. Right. Mm -hmm. So we use dissociative language. We say, my hand, if I lose my hand or I lose my foot, I'm still a person. But we, when we look at other life forms, we look at an ant, we may have the false paradigm. We may say, look at the ant. I just squashed the ant. I just killed it. No, you didn't. You squashed the cell in an ant colony. Right. right. And if you, if you look at it that way, you see things totally different. And then the issue really becomes when you take when you say, what if people aren't the life form? What if it's something a higher collective? And this is where you get into the more controversial stuff because if you were to put swarm intelligence structures around social constructs and the way people work and government, maybe. And go well, and this gets it's uh, out so, of alignment with Western values for sure. Very much so. Very yeah. much so because if it's good for the collective, it may not be good for the individual, right? Data could be the bane of the individual. Yeah. You just All said that a bunch stuff. of dirty words. <laughs> individual. It's, it's, Are you uh, a capitalist? <laughs> so we're, we don't have this clip, and we're not going to show it. But if you want, if you go look on TED, you can see these things. If you just type in some of these terms, you'll find it. But there is a, a political party in in Norway. And actually, it's in Sweden, but the, the talk was given in Norway. And it's a Swedish party called the Pirate Party. And it's a, it, they use basically a lot of swarm 
uh, AI protocols or swarm intelligence uh, organizational structures to self-organize a political party that doesn't have a leader, but yet they have seats in parliament, in European parliament. Pretty interesting uh, because the individual is not important. It's the collective. Now this is gonna this is gonna fly right in the face of Western values as it relates to people, but stepping back from that, we can see the application of this algorithm within the technology sets that we have today to create some very interesting outcomes, and likely being done today without it being widely advertised in the area of high frequency trading on Wall Street. If I want to predict the future, what better way to go capitalize on that prediction than mm -hmm. to trade equities? In the stock market, right. and, and to tie it back to the, I know this is going to be in the show title, but the sports betting analogy, there's an admitted aspect of the, you know, if you'd ask the bookies, you know, how they set the lines on certain games, mm -hmm. there's pretty much two data models and sets of algorithms they look at. It's not just their predictive models, which is the one that they use to say like, oh, who do we think is going to win? This guy's the favorite. This team's the favorite by how much? What's you know how much have they won before? All those statistics that fil filter into it. But the second set is, what is the sentiment of the public? Where is the money going? Because you know, there's, there are various reasons here. One of the reasons is you know, minimizing risk on the sports books part. So even if they think, oh, the Patriots are probably favored by seven, they're going to win. But if the Patriots are really favored in terms of public perception or just you know, there's just a lot of excitement around them, or the other way, if all the money is on one side, there's, they are they're very exposed, especially for big games like the Super Bowl. Yeah. So what they try and do is they'll they'll take in those two factors where they think is going to win. What's the predictive? What do the actual models say? And, how and they then can hedge where what we, what would we have to set it at to get to 50-50? Right. And then usually the answer is somewhere in the middle. And I, I think I don't know if they're using swarm intelligence to inform the latter around like user behavior and you know what is the active sentiment dynamically. But knowing that, if there's a way to tap into one of them, you might be able to have informed input on how they're making their decisions. So yeah. in, in, in the bookie business, you know, the, the betting lines are designed to split the money. Right. Half the money on one side, half on the other. And the bookies don't want to get what's called sided. Sided means that they're in a lopsided position, meaning they're yep. betting the over, the under, they're betting on the Patriots or against the Patriots, whatever the issue is. And they, they, they don't want to be sided. They want to be in the middle. They want to win all the time, which is to collect their VIG in the middle. And when they get sided, they're essentially become, they, they, start, they start gambling. And so there's ways that they can mitigate that risk. They can move the lines. But if they move the lines, uh, they, they get into some of these bear traps for them where they can lose really big. And I think they, they move the line slightly if the predictive models are way off and they think, like, I'm going to make a little bit more. But they try – of the two – you know, sticks in the ground, they're much closer to the 50-50 stick. So in point. football, they can go from two and a half to three, but they can't go to three and a half, right? Because if they have some on two and a half and some at three and a half, it hits at three, they lose both ways. So there's re so there, in football, there's structural ways where you can't move right. the line. Same with uh, with soccer. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they want to keep the, the total goal scored at two and a half, uh, but as soon as they go to three, they lose a lot of business because it's a tie. But if they move to three and a half, they could get it three and they just lose both ways. And, and the reason they've been so dominant, I mean, they also collect commissions on all these trades too, but I think they're making a lot of the money on just gaming the system that way, is they, they were the only ones who have access to the data 
and it could pay for the expensive data scientists and algorithms and all the predictive models. But what I'm what we're seeing now is democratization of access to not only the data but the capabilities to crunch it, to right. actually analyze so, it. So, so what yeah. if you had the same tools? In, in yeah, the, you could play back, play them back at their own game, effectively. What if we could measure the same things as sports books do? Yeah, I I think there's an opportunity here, and I and I my premise is I believe that this technology will end sports betting as we know it. Eventually, <laughs> eventually, it's not right. there yet right now. But when you look at getting cited, what's ha that is that is analogous to the Oscars example we gave, where you have enthusiasts getting it forty percent right. When they vote, they get it 47% right. And that's where the money sits today. It sits in that 47% bucket. But if you could organize the collective information of the people at 40% in a hive protocol or a hive algorithm, I can get up to 76%. And then I get on the winning side of the sports books. And there's nothing they can really do about it because they can't, because they're going to get cited all the time. And if they move the lines too far, they're going to get, you know, they're going to get killed on the the math. So, I think what's going to happen is you're going to start to see limits on betting. <laughs> There's already situations like William Hill, the big mm -hmm. uh, UK bookie, is here in New Jersey now. They just ban people. There's no right to place a bet. If you win too much, you're out. They just cancel your account, give you your money back. And so you and they'll ban you, just like they ban card counters and blackjack. So the, these people on the on the gambling side, they're not stupid. So th they're gonna they're gonna limit this, so you're not gonna be able to make money. And now on Wall Street, that's the ultimate casino. It's uh, lots and lots of money, money that dwarfs the sports betting. So that thing is probably a better application there about what's happening with sentiment. So yeah, so with we use high frequency trading quite a lot. Yeah. So people in in any other industry, when people see when people follow the money and they see, whoa, these guys are making a ton of money because they're using these al advanced algorithms. Yeah. At what point does it let it not become a competitive advantage? It's well, already there. So already everyone, there. so it's already there. They already eliminated everything else. It was even a battle of speed of light at one point or how, how far can you, how close can you get to the terminals to make the trades? So now it's just the battle of algorithms and how fast you can make them. There, the was a, there was a time, I mean, maybe it's probably some aspect of urban legend, but Goldman Sachs machine trading was making $100 million a day. So uh, and it's, a, it's a more efficient version of the sports betting because you make a bet, you have to wait for the game to end. Right. You make a bet in the stock market, it's, it's, instant. it's instantly yeah. yeah. Bart, can you pull up uh, on Wikipedia the Virtu Holdings? Uh, so Virtu Holdings is... Um, high frequency trading outfit. Go to the Wikipedia version, and they they ultimately went public, and their founder was uh, Vinny Viola, who owns one of the hockey teams. Scroll down to the beginning. They they talk to pre pre activity here. It is trading activities. So look at the third paragraph in trading activity. Stop stop there. In 2014, when they filed their IPO, they made a profit. 1,277 out of 1,220, I'm sorry, 1,277 up days out of 1,278 days. They only had one day out of almost 1,300 trading days where they had a loss. That's not, that's, that's, that's something different. That's a mistake. That's a, that's <laughs> a mistake. That's, like yeah, someone, uh, that is. But, but think about that. They, every day they made money. 
one day they lost money. That's called printing money. And they're using algorithms to do that, and they're going to use algorithms like Swarm Intelligence to take this to the next level if they're not already using it today. Yeah. I'm sure they are. Right. Probably. They're not going to advertise it. That's how you eke out your competitive I mean, the, if there's anything from the, the 08 financial crisis, the regulators on this and the visibility well, so transparency here is always behind the capability. So, think of, I'll just, so you, you can just decide for yourself, but – so go, go up to the beginning here, Bart, and just click sure. on the, uh, the this one. Say, the, the, the zoom back out to the full pages there. So the founder is you can't. There you go. Hit Vinny Viola, Vincent Viola, founder. I oh, know the founder right there, Vincent Viola. I got it. So he is he was nominated but to be the secretary of the army under Trump, and he pulled out because they didn't want to disclose his, his uh, financial information. But if you look at his net worth, it's like two point four billion according to this. Assuming this is right, but you know, and you can see he was nominated Secretary of Army. He pulled out because he didn't want to go through this kind of scrutiny. Like, how'd you make your money? Right? I'm not saying he did anything illegal or even nefarious, but it's just but he may not just cards, right? He may not just you know just doesn't want this out there. Yeah. Right. And so these guys are printing money now. What's happened is there's a little bit of a stasis between them because the early movers back you know say eight to six to eight years ago. We're really making a lot of money, and now they're they're fighting against each other. So it's AI on AI violence, if you will. Right. And there's a, there's a little bit of a, uh, I would guess equilibrium, if you will. But these applications are driving into new systems. It could be healthcare. It could be, you know, you've read things about AI predicting the ability to, you know, if if you have enough data, they can predict like you know very accurately when you're going to die. So imagine how that affects insurance premiums, retirement planning. Would you want to know if the AI if the AI could get it within three months? Would you want to know? I'd want to know where, so I know what to dress. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like this, this, these are questions that are right ahead of us, and this 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 topic of swarm AI yeah. is one of the algorithms that's joining the convergence of this tech and, and intelligence that's changing the world around us. And that's why we introduced this topic today on pardon disruption, because this is disruption by its very nature. Yeah, it's scary. I mean, we could, we could, this could very quickly dive into a dark philosophical discussion, <laughs> but I think just throwing this out there is, uh, it's a lot of food for thought. It yeah. is. And that's the point. That is yeah. the point. We want people to think about this. We'll put some show notes out there with, uh, links to some of these videos i watched them over the weekend uh it was ex it was exciting yeah and, and you and you won money on the uh virginia game ah i did so i'm trying to i'm trying i'm trying to use uh a very crude form of swarm intelligence uh just <laughs> screwing around and uh so i i i buy some sports handicappers uh opinions and i take those opinions that are and I look for um, consistencies. So if someone says bet the overs and, and someone else says bet the under, I just cancel them out and I ignore that game. But if five people all say bet the over, I just do. But again, that's individual right. voting. That's Swarm AI where you're the algorithm, which right. is yeah. not Swarm AI. Yeah. No, I'm just taking it. I, I, I'm, I'm, it's uh, better than what you have it's, now, it's, but it's. Yeah. You're no. just informing yourself. 
Yeah, and also I read their rationale for why they pick certain things, and and uh, I'm just using uh, I, I I use the term very crude. It is extremely crude, <laughs> and uh, I'm just seeing what's going to happen. I'm yeah. going to see if I can. Uh, so we'll have to revisit and see what your book looks like at the end of the. Month. Well, I started with uh, <laughs> I started with 500, and it's up to about 2,500. So it's uh, I'm I I've done this before, and it, and I could ease, I got it up to say ten thousand, and it went to zero. So I know, I lack the discipline to to adhere to it. You're not using like Vinnie Viola's uh, algorithm. Right? <laughs> no, can, no. can you buy those? <laughs> yeah. uh, I have no intention of making any money on this. It's just a, a thought experiment. It's entertainment. It's what fun. times your flight to Monaco? <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that there's an opportunity if you had discipline to create a sports betting ETF. And, um, right. You, because mm. you don't, you, you don't want to be involved, invested in the games. That'll get crushed immediately. <laughs> <laughs> well, they won't well, let you make place the bet. Well, what I mean, like whoever is, you know, the, the big sports book, whoever that is, will line the pockets of the regulators and like, we're shutting that down. Yeah. There's too, yeah. too many, uh, so it'd have to be a, pri there. a private ETF right? yeah, on the dark so, web. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope this is an interesting topic to you guys. It is to yeah, me. Super interesting. Uh, it is uh, also an interesting convergence of the analog biology with the field of computer science in ways that we maybe not thought about. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so hope you guys liked it. Good stuff. Cool. Thanks. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to Pardon the Disruption. We'd like you to subscribe to our podcast if you like it. You can find us on most of the platforms where you get your podcast from, whether that be iTunes or YouTube or whatever you're on. Uh, we also want some feedback. Which shows do you want us to cover? What do you like? What do you not like? So that we can do this. We're doing this for you. We're not doing this for anything else. So please subscribe and give us some feedback. Thank you very much.